Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Stushy, the award-winning Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'm joined by a top team to dissect the result of the SNP leadership contest. The Nicola Sturgeon era is as of today behind us. Humza Yousaf is the winner, narrowly beating Kate Forbes to take on the top job, which of course also means he's the next First Minister, barring any last-minute political cataclysm. We are in hot-take territory here, gathering as we are just after the vote, but there are some cool heads here with me to talk it through. I've got top team of political reporter colleagues Adele Merson, Justin Bowie and Rachel Amory. And we're joined by David Clegg, editor of The Courier. Welcome. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, yes. A pleasure to have you on the studio. David, for those who know you, they will of course understand you love a political drama. I do. I do love a political drama. I wasn't more, I'm not sure whether I was more happy to be called a political expert or having a cool head there in your opening description. (laughs) Both of those are very generous of you. Thank you. Let's put it to the test then. Is this a stunning opening to the new series of the SNP or are we looking at a tired reboot? So I think the first thing to to be said about this is it does feel like a significant moment for Scotland and for especially for uh ethnic minorities in Scotland and particularly the Muslim community to have uh, the first Muslim first minister of Scotland. That's clearly a a significant event. And I think it was quite a moving part of Hamza Yusuf's acceptance speech when he referenced that. Uh, And the television feed that I was watching cut to his parents who were, his mum in particular seemed to be wiping a tear from -hmm. from her eye. So I I think it would be a very, not, not a cool head, but a cold heart to not uh, find that quite a poignant moment. So yeah. from from that perspective, it's definitely a significant moment for Scotland. I think it is also a very significant moment for the SNP for a number of reasons. It's definitely the end of an era and the changing of the guard, the Salmon Sturgeon era, which has lasted really for thirty years. You could make the argument in the SNP that yeah. that 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 you know, alongside John Swinney, those those three have all departed the stage now, in various guises, and that they are the three that really brought the SNP as a political party, which was really seen as a bit of a joke for cranks and weirdos. Mm-hmm. They brought them to be the natural party of government. And that era is over, and we now have them as the party of government. We have them as far as electoral arithmetic and electoral success is concerned. Behemoths, really, that uh, bestride Scotland in a way that up until very recently, their dominance was unquestioned. So that yeah. the, the achievements of that era are incredible, really, when you when you break them down. And that that now we're at a point where in the changing of the guard, we're seeing weakness, I think, for the first time. And if I was yeah. if I was Hamza Yusuf, while this is obviously a very emotional moment for him and his family and and his his friends and the wider community, I think there's also some troubling elements on the horizon. Now the vote after the second round of counting was fifty two forty eight. That mm-hmm. is very very tight, and it is very tight, particularly in a contest that has been defined by. Uh, candidate and favourite in Hamza Yusuf, who was preaching continuity, uh, consistency, a continuation of what had came before. And Kate Forbes, his main rival, who was 
not only saying that she was the agent of change, but that the change would be dramatic and also involved a repudiation of the past, quite importantly, I think. Yeah. So I think that, I think that's a concern. And it also tells us something really interesting about the SNP membership as well, because we've all known and said many times over the years that the SNP is a broad church and their left wing clothing is really just disguising what is ultimately a one issue pressure group, which is a political party that has been designed to achieve Scottish independence. Yeah. And whether they are left wing or right wing is generally determined by what they think is more likely to achieve that goal rather than because they have any ideological commitment to those particular politics. Yeah. And what we learned from the membership then is that 40% voted for a candidate who's certainly centre right on economy, who's extremely conservative on social justice, or not social justice, sorry, on, on equality issues. Uh, that ha would not be out of step with David Cameron's conservative government and certainly could be on the right wing of the new Labour government under mm -hmm. Tony Blair. And that found a very substantial well of support amongst the SNP membership. So yeah. I think the idea of the SNP as a progressive left-wing political party, that has taken a bit of a battering, that idea. Now, people who feel that way are clearly just in the ascendancy within the SNP, but it's certainly a party that is only unified by its nationalism and its uh, commitment to either socialism uh, or social democracy is yeah. uh you know contested and varies from you know constituency to constituency because i think if we look at the if we got a geographical breakdown of that, that vote which would be really interesting i think we would see a big split between the rural areas and the urban areas and what yeah. we also know is that even after thirty thousand members have left still only 70 percent of those remaining could be bothered to vote in what is certainly the most important SP leadership contest for a long time you, you've brought in some of the numbers there and some of the the, the missing the missing ballots, because, you, you know, there was a huge row, obviously, for those who were paying attention to the run-up. Clouding this whole issue, there was Peter Murrell, the chief executive of the SNP. He fell on his sword because he was deemed to be ultimately responsible for a mistruth about the number of uh, members that the SNP had. It was only about 30,000 out. The Murray Foote, the, the head of the SNP press operation, he also had to well, felt obliged to quit because he had basically peddled that that fact and it was not a fact, it turns out. Justin, you, you were listening to some of the, the results. Do you have some of the, the kind of the breakdown there? Because we've talked about who won and we've talked about who came second and we've not mentioned Ash Reagan yet, actually, who who finished a distant third. We'll just, just, we'll just pause there and recap with a bit of the... She looked delighted about it too, didn't oh, she? She really, she really did. My goodness, her face was like thunder. You won a game of poker with, with Ash Reagan, I think. So Justin, yeah, what, what are the numbers? <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting early on. Hamza Yousaf secured around 48% of the vote. Kate Forbes was on, give or take, around 40%, just slightly above that. And Ash Regan got around about 11% of the vote. So, so one of the key points here is that Hamza Yousaf wasn't able to get the majority of SNP members in, in the first round of voting. And obviously it was difficult to say how this was going to pan out, but that would have been his aim if he could get it, to be able to say... I have a deliberate, you know, direct mandate from over half of the people who voted here. What's interesting beyond that is that, you know, Ash Regan was seen as very much as an outsider, sort of change candidate. Kate Forbes became an 
change candidate in her own right, despite having a senior government role. What's interesting there is that actually a, a reasonable number of Ash Regan supporters did lend Hamza Yousaf their second preference. So it perhaps shows there's quite an unpredictable element to this as well. We've perhaps become very interested in wings of the SNP and where everybody stands, but there's perhaps some members there who maybe like Tumza Yusuf and Kate Forbes. It's quite difficult to tell because I suppose that cross in the box or whoever you're voting doesn't always kind of show exactly where you stand. So, so yeah, it very much did come down to Hamza Yusuf versus Kate Forbes as expected. But then Ash Regan's supporters actually played a key role in determining what the result yeah. was. Yeah, they did. And I, I did think personally that more of her second preferences would, would go to, to Kate Forbes. But um, there was also, the, the, I think like Dave Clegg mentioned there, there's the, the 20,000 paid up members who can, didn't want to vote. I mean, no, there's never 100% turnout and um, filling in the forums. But when such a tiny number of um, people are determining what is the next First Minister, it's a bit worrying that so few actually could take part in it. I think it's interesting as well, given you know that decline in SNP membership. It was already down to about 70,000. And it, it was always going to be a small proportion of the electorate that were actually getting to, to vote in this contest. But when you compared it as a percentage to the recent Conservative leadership contests, you could have at least said, well, well it's more of the country. That may still be the case at 50,000 members, because if you were to translate that to a UK-wide electorate, you know, that would still be quite a large number. But it does show that from the heights of a party that had about 120, 125,000 members has then seen that decline. And as you say, even within that, there's a lot of people who, it's hard to tell, did they not care? Did they not see any of the candidates as offering enough an independence? You know, did, did they feel they had to go even further? I wonder, was there some complacency? Was there an assumption that Hamza Yousaf had it wrapped up and that some people haven't bothered there? Because it's... It's a very, very large proportion of a party to just mm-hmm. not vote on, on what was certainly a historic vote for the party. Rachel, you were in the room um, for the actual count at Murrayfield Stadium earlier today. Um, normally the home of Scottish rugby, it's seen some tough contests, obviously, but did this actually stand up to the billing while you were in the room? Talk us a bit through the sort of nuts and bolts of, of how it was in uh, when you were watching it unfold there today. Yeah, in the room itself, it was quite a, a sort of tense excitement to, to proceedings. Uh, normally mm. in an election, there's results coming in from all over, all throughout the night to keep you busy. But today, it was just one vote that you were waiting for. So it was all that sort of palpable, just waiting for it to happen. Um, when the three candidates came in um, to, to the voting room, um, we were all trying to see if we could tell by their body language who had won. It was quite hard, actually, because both Hamza Youssef and Kate Forbes came in with big smiles on their face. So it was quite difficult to tell just from looking at them who had won. Sometimes it's quite obvious. It really wasn't at all this time round. But it seemed to be quite um, quite amicable between the two of them. Hamza Youssef gave a big hug to Kate Forbes after the announcement was was given. His, his speech, like you said, it did, it did um, concentrate on independence and on his ethnic minority background. Um, I think from Punjab to the parliament um, was was referenced as a nod to his grandparents um, as immigrants there. Afterwards, um, we had questions from the journalists put to Hamza Youssef. And I have to say there was a little bit less excitement there. I felt like a lot of his answers were rehashing of what he's already said in his campaign. Um, a bit generic at some points as well. Um, so I don't think we learned anything new about what Hamza Youssef as First Minister or SNP leader is going to look like from it. 
let's listen to a little bit of a clip then and hear from the victorious man himself. This was Hamza Yousaf announcing his new leadership role to the nation. It is hard for me to find the words to describe just how honoured I am to be entrusted by our membership of the SNP to be the party's next leader and to be on the cusp of being our country's next First Minister. Can I begin by paying tribute to my colleagues, uh, both Kate and Ash. During almost 20 hustings, it's probably felt like we've seen each other more than we have our respective families. You both have put in an incredible shift, and I know that collectively we will continue to work hard as part of Team SNP. Uh, I am not just humbled of that, I most certainly am. I also feel like the luckiest man in the world to be standing here as the leader of the SNP, a party I joined almost 20 years ago and that I love so dearly. We should all take pride in the fact that today we have sent a clear message that your colour of skin or indeed your faith is not a barrier to leading the country that we all call home. From the Punjab to our parliament, this is a journey over generations that reminds us we should be celebrating and always celebrate the migrants who contribute so much to our country. This is what drives my commitment to equality that will underpin my actions as First Minister. Thank you for the honour of choosing me to be your nominee to become, to become Scotland's sixth First Minister. I will dedicate every waking moment to serving you, the people of Scotland. Kate Forbes, of course, was favourite at the beginning until an outbreak of political honesty put her faith right at the centre of the policy debate. I'm personally not sure she recovered from that, even though it was a close contest. And she was absolutely brutal in her takedown of Hamza Yousaf's record as health secretary in there as well in the first televised debate. Um, so why don't we have another uh, clip? We can just listen a little bit to Kate Forbes and see if she's changed her tune now that she's lost. I think the message he gave just there about his first meeting being with uh, his two uh, fellow contestants, candidates, was an important indication of the way that he wants to, to govern. And I certainly will be working with him in order to progress plans to serve the people of Scotland. Of course you will. Um, <laughs> so what are we thinking then? Is this the start of a, a beautiful new relationship? Adele Merson, you've been following Kate's journey What's your view? I mean, is she scorched earth, just have to try and start again to save her career or what? No, uh, from, from speaking to her, her team earlier, it seems in the immediate days she's probably going to return home to enjoy the last couple of weeks or so of her maternity leave before coming back in April. But um, speaking to, you know, those sort of in the inside, it seems that they're actually pretty pleased with, with how she's, very pleased with how she's done and I think it's quite remarkable, really, considering what happened at the beginning with lots of questions around her, sort of some of her more sort of socially conservative views. And they, they believe, you know, there was an entire SNP apparatus was effectively against her. She hemorrhaged support from the few kind of number of backers that she did have. And yet, with all that, she's still come out really quite close to, to Hamza Yusuf. I think they'll be, to be honest, quite pleased by the whole thing in terms of 
I guess his strategy that will be interesting to see. Obviously, we spoke in, in the last Stushi episode to Fergus Much, who used to be head of comms for the for the SNP, and, and he had suggested that whoever won, whether it was Kate or Hamza, had to take quite a broad church approach to things and bring in the other and vice versa into their cabinet. And I think hard to know what he will do, really, because obviously he will be facing pressure over her and some of her views. But you look at those figures and it's hard to see how he could form a cabinet that ignores that part of the, the party now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, if I can maybe just pick up on that, Andy. Yeah, um, go ahead. I just I, th- I think Kate Forbes is in a very strong position, actually. And that does give Hamza Yusuf a bit of a headache. And I think his recognition of that was pretty clear in the way he was putting such a visible metaphoric and literal arm around her uh, this, af- this afternoon. Um, to have got 41% of the vote after that contest, uh, I think is quite an extraordinary achievement, especially because of not only the pressure from the party hierarchy and establishment, but also the media, uh, the wider Scottish media was giving her a hard time as well. And those those issues were very significant. I th- if you were looking at this objectively, you would say that deputy first minister, you know, would, would not be an, uh, and it would be an inappropriate role for someone who's just won 41% of the members in, in a mm-hmm. leadership contest. I think that would be a challenge just because of the the nature of the controversy generated by those social socially conservative views. But I think one of the things that the, the vote tells us is that the SNP membership weren't as bothered about that uh, no. as the SNP establishment or the media uh, seemed to be. And, and just to, on a related point, which I thought was quite interesting, and you happen to do a, you know, this is a little bit of guesswork, but you mentioned the, the element of surprise on the transfers there. So I think Ash Regan got, I think it was 11% yeah. and 7% of them went to Kate and 4% of them went to Hamza and people were expecting that to be more. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think what that tells us is that the SNP's not, membership isn't that exercised by the uh, gender recognition reform issue. Uh, as, as the prominence it's had in the debate. The reason why everyone has said all those transfers will go from uh, Ash to Kate is because they're they're aligned on that issue. But actually, if you look at it more widely, all three candidates were pretty much on the same page about independence. There was a recognition across the piece that that was going to be moving slower now. Mm-hmm. And Ash Reagan is on the left when it comes to the economy. So Ash Reagan and Hamza Yusuf views taking out GRR are actually a lot more similar than... Uh, uh, Ash Reagan's and Kate Forbes' views. Mm. Uh, so I think that shows what the membership are prioritised there, is that those people that transferred were more interested in a left-wing economic message than they were on the Gender Recognition Act, which we've been saying for a long time, feels like a niche issue that has a massively disproportionate amount of airtime given to it. And I think the membership were maybe sending that message as well. Well, that that point there was reflected as well in, in people observing how the SNP and the Greens were working together because of course they are in a coalition style of agreement it's a coalition that they refuse to call a coalition but they work in government together but some of the fault lines that the greens were the dictionary putting, calls it a coalition though, the so dictionary calls can. it a coalition yeah you're, you're correct there but the problem is that they the green party kept on saying that the fault lines were on the social issues and and bringing up the gender recognition act again and these are all important things but, of course, people listening in think, well, maybe the net zero, the oil and gas, the, the clean air, the climate change, is that not the, the focus? But like like so many things, the, the political row about the Gender Recognition Act is all-consuming, where um, a lot of people who are taking a fairly more passive interest in politics, some of them probably don't even know this has even happened at this point, 
Uh, it's something that keeps happening to people rather than, than being fully on board with what it means. Um, and of course, there are plenty other um, bits and pieces on our previous episodes which touch on this very subject and we cover it all extensively, including a full explanation of what it is and what it means on the Courier and the Press and Journal pages. One person that we've not talked about yet is the relatively new uh, SNP Westminster leader, Stephen Flynn. He was telling Rachel um, that Hamza is part of the new generation. So here's what he had to say. There's uh, some hugely significant figures uh, in the SNP uh, who've been around for a long time and delivered so much. I'd see Mike Russell uh, leaving the room, one of them, uh, Nicola, John and, and so many so many others. Um, and now it's incumbent upon us, the next generation, myself, Hamza, Kate, Mary, Barry McCallum, Neil Gray, there's, there's so many to, to name uh, to, to take things forward, to, to convince people of Scotland that, that we can govern well, uh, which I believe we can, and hopefully to take us that independent future. Rachel, you were in the room there again. I mean, what what did you get from talking to Stephen Flynn? I mean, we, we revealed, of course, earlier in the campaign that he was going to be backing Hamza. Were the endorsements like that important and will they carry any weight now as, as Hamza starts to set his policies? I think it'll certainly give him the confidence, knowing that he has the support of those around him in Parliament, albeit Stephen Flynn's in Westminster. Um, but like, it's quite interesting the names that he was saying there. He mentioned Neil Gray there, Mallory McCallan there. Could that be an indication of who we might see at the front of the cabinet, perhaps? It'd be interesting to see if those names crop up again tomorrow. Yes, I think that was a little astute bit of uh, name dropping from from the Westminster chief as well, I think. I think Neil Gray was campaign manager, wasn't he? he if he doesn't yeah. get a job, there's going to be ructions, I would imagine. Absolutely. I mean, well, more on Hamza Yousaf's journey. I mean, Justin, you you were looking specifically at his his kind of progress through the entire campaign. He, he has got his work cut out. Yes, it's really fascinating because within days of the campaign, Hamza Yousaf became sort of the overwhelming favourite to take on the top job, but... It's almost easy to forget that for months, Labour were demanding his resignation, were wanting him to step down due to his performance over the NHS. So you, you have somebody who within months has gone from perhaps being perceived as their job being on the line over a difficult winter, but in the end, he's ended up getting a promotion. So so initially when this campaign started, I mean, people wondered, would John Swinney be interested? Angus Robertson was seen as a heavy favourite. There was a good few kind of senior party figures who were potentially interested but obviously, once you had that combination of Hamza Yousaf being the sort of, as was later described, the party machine candidate and Kate Forbes sort of being seen as born of chances, Hamza became the, the clear favourite. So it's interesting in a way, understandably, Kate Forbes will be very happy about how she's performed. But if you had said to Hamza Yousaf back in January or even on the day Nicola Sturgeon resigned that he would win an SNP leadership contest mm -hmm. over Kate Forbes, he would have probably probably been very happy with yeah. that result, no matter what happened. Obviously, the criticisms over over him have been his performance in terms of running the NHS. Kate Forbes also criticised his record as Justice Secretary and as Transport Minister as well. <laughs> so he has been seen as underperforming, but at the same time, he has argued that he has been given tough jobs. Not only that, he's been trusted with top jobs by Nicola Sturgeon and... There may be a sense going forward, you know, we talk about where some of his critics like Kate Forbes may go in terms of jobs. Does he turn around to Kate Forbes and say, well, you said I failed at running the health service, now you do it instead? Because his argument is essentially that 
he has done the best job possible in difficult circumstances, but he's going to have his work cut out because he's seen by some as, you know, a kind of lesser version of Nicola Sturgeon in terms of policy and Oof. in terms of what he stands for. The lesser version. David, as, as a... As Not a my friend. words, the words of his critics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as a, as a, that was a quote. Justin was only quoting. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get it. You'll get him a Twitter haranguing if you're not careful. <laughs> David, as a fine Dundee man, how important has that city's independence SNP base been for Hamza Yousaf? Well, certainly it diversified his power base because he had built up a very strong power base in Glasgow, which had given him the Nicola Sturgeon connection. And then, as we know, for family reasons, he relocated personally to Dundee uh, a couple of years ago now. And he won a clean sweep of support from the SNP parliamentarians uh, and the council leader. So I think I think I think it's clear that Dundee has become a second kingdom for him. And given that we know that Dundee has such high level of SNP support and independent support, there's a lot of members in Dundee. So so that mm. will have proved very, that will have proved very useful uh, in the contest. One of my favourite pieces of coverage that we, we've we've done uh, during this process has been Justin's Fox Pops on the streets of Pollock to absolutely you know, make, make make Mr. Yusuf's constituents aware that he he lives quite a distance away uh, in Dundee. So I think the challenges of that logistically, we all know how difficult uh, First Minister uh, the the impact that would have on anyone's personal life. We've yeah. seen that with Nicola Sturgeon and her desire to get back to some kind of normality. To be doing that, uh, to be First Minister in Edinburgh, uh, constituency MSP in Glasgow and a husband and father in Dundee is going to be uh, a real, real uh, challenge. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think is, 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 I thought he struck a very, uh, I thought he struck a lovely tone actually in his comments to his, his wife and children in the acceptance speech. Um, but I think, I think he's aware of the sacrifices that are going to be made there. So having that backing in Dundee uh, whereas, whereas wife Nadia is a, a Dundee City Councillor, we should say, it's going to be he's going to need support there as well. Yeah. So, yes, I think I think I think it's going to play a big part in his role. And also, yeah. we have a Brighty Ferryman as First Minister of Scotland. He's not. He's also the first Brighty Ferryman to be First Minister of Scotland. I think so these are all these are all excellent there. little fat I know, Yeah. Well, I'm 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 really glad you mentioned the um that wonderful Vox popping exercise in Glasgow Pollock because uh, if anyone hasn't listened to it, hashtag We John Gordon. Um, got you, <laughs> you, I, I would uh, I would suggest that you do it's brilliant um, we need uh, to get back we need to go back to we John Gordon for a follow up now we have a result I, I, what do you think making of it all <laughs> absolutely so as we kind of progress to the to the the natural boiling point of all these hot takes let's just um, let's take some predictions shall we let's, let's go around the room I'm going to start with you Justin Hamza Yusuf as first minister is he going to stay the course and uh, steer them to electoral victory and the promised land of independence? I think when it comes to the next election, he may struggle to replicate what Nicholas Sturgeon's done in terms of getting that close to majority. I could see a bit of a fall for the SNP, but I still see the SNP being the largest party with him in charge. I don't quite think you know, Labour are going to have enough to come back. So I can see him still winning that election, but perhaps with a kind of much reduced mandate. I would personally be very surprised in the current environment, though, if he leads them to independence. I don't see that happening in terms of a prediction. Mm. All right. What about you, Rachel? What's your what's your uh, tip? 
He said he's going to be the continuity candidate. So I think continuity here too. I think he will enjoy some good election victories, but he will not achieve independence. Okay then, Adele, what about you? I don't think he'll achieve anything like the popularity of Nicola Sturgeon and I don't think he'll achieve independence. Oh dear, okay. David? I would like to go against the flu here, but I don't think I'm able to. Regardless of his own personal talents, and you know we can talk about his record and his skill set, he's inheriting much more difficult circumstances than Nicola Sturgeon did. Nicola Sturgeon mm. inherited an influx of members, a massive wave of enthusiasm for independence in the SNP at the height of their popularity. What Hamza Yusuf is, is inheriting is much more difficult. And I think the big problem he has is it's likely to be a Westminster election up next. So we, ha we have a Labour party that looks like it's going to get into government again. We have an SNP leader who's not as well known as liked or liked as Nicola Sturgeon. And we have no prospect of an independence referendum on the horizon. So mm -hmm. you don't have personal popularity. You have uh, the prospect of getting rid of an unpopular Tory government. And um, you don't really have that carrot of, oh, just vote for us one more time and independence will be here on Tuesday. So I think that that means there's bound to be uh, a fairly significant loss of seats to Labour in the in the Westminster election and that the, the responsibility for that will fall on him perhaps unfairly. Mm -hmm. What happens after that's much more difficult to say because it will depend when we get to the Hollywood election whether if we, if things go as I'm anticipating there we have a popular Labour government or an unpopular Labour government I think that'll be a big part of what Anna Sarwar uh, yeah. is having to deal with come, come the next Hollywood election. But as far as independence, nah, independence is done for at least a decade I'd say. You think? Okay, so um, well if I'm thinking of Ash Regan's readiness thermometer and if I'm assuming that you know independence it's on 11 percent. we learned that today is, didn't we so we're 11 so it's we're uh, we're an overcast march day in uh, angus it's where we're at. And bright, it's beautiful and bright fairy right now i can tell you that much the, okay, the sun is shining okay. for hamza yusuf to welcome him home all right well yeah but if uh, okay so we're, we're nowhere near the we're nowhere near that it's, it's frozen it's frozen somewhere around about zero at the moment um we're reckoning but okay before i before I go down that too far, let's end that. metaphor that got away from me slightly. Just <laughs> a, little, a little bit. What, would, what about Fahrenheit? Yeah. Um, so let's end on that note. Uh, thank you to Rachel Amory, Adele Merson, David Clegg, Justin Bowie, producer Morvan McIntyre, and of course to you for listening. We'll be back at the usual time on Friday with more. But until then, pick up a paper or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed.